Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Several years ago, I heard a missionary tell a story about going to a remote island somewhere in the Pacific. And he went to visit one of the churches while he was there, and people were asking him why he was there, why he was at a church of all places. And he said, well, I'm a Christian, I'm here to worship with you. And someone said, you're not a Christian, you can't possibly be a Christian. And he said, what do you mean? I've been a Christian my entire life, I'm even a missionary. And the guy that he was talking to said, that can't possibly be true, look at what you're wearing. And that's when the missionary looked around and noticed that literally everyone in the church, literally everyone, was wearing a white shirt and khaki pants. And he wasn't. So after doing a little bit of detective work, this guy found out that the very first Christian uh, missionary on the island a few decades before this encounter wore, guess what? A white shirt and khaki pants. So along with translating the Bible and bringing Christianity to the island, that missionary had also completely unintentionally given the impression that Christianity came with a dress code. And that dress code is a white shirt and khaki pants. And as the years went on, this implied dress code became a sort of canonized dress code, such that there were individuals who couldn't even fathom the idea of a Christian that didn't wear a white shirt khaki pants. So in a lot of ways, this is exactly what was going on in Galatia in the first century. So if you were here last week, you may remember that an early church leader named Paul started the church in this area of the Roman Empire called Galatia. And Paul was dedicated to the idea that through Christ, everyone was free to worship God regardless of ethnic background or which religious customs they observed regarding things like ritual cleanliness and food laws. Everybody is free to worship God. But then after Paul left, there was a group of people who very quickly started saying, yeah, we know what Paul said. But if you really want to be spiritual... And if you really want to be in with God, and if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow our religious laws. So circumcision and food laws were the white shirts and khaki pants of Galatia. There was a group of people that just couldn't imagine that someone could claim to be worshiping God and not be doing these things. So... In his letter that he wrote to the Galatians, the letter where this morning's New Testament lesson comes from, Paul tries to make it clear that these outward signs of religious devotion just aren't the point. 
They may be helpful to some people who practice them, so he doesn't reject them outright, but he tries to make it clear that they're not the requirements that some people are making them out to be. In other words, if you want to wear a white shirt and khaki pants to worship, super. Khaki it up. But don't try to impose that on other people as though the point of Christianity is to get them into white shirts and khaki pants. That might be the end goal of Dockers Incorporated, but it's not the end goal for Jesus, and it's not the end goal of Christianity. So Paul has laid out his argument throughout his letter, and here at the end he finally gets around to answering the question, so what is the point? What is the end goal of this whole Jesus thing? And the answer comes in the very last thing that he says to the Galatians, other than offering a blessing and then saying, now from now on, stop bothering me about this. He actually does say that in verse 17. But here's what he says the point is. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but new creation is everything. The letter ends with Paul essentially saying, if I hear one more thing about white shirts and khaki pants, I'm going to scream. So look, wear them, don't wear them, I don't care. It ultimately doesn't mean anything. But do you know what means everything? Becoming new creations. So some of you know that even though I'm a United Methodist pastor, I'm not a huge fan of one of our co-founders, John Wesley. I like our other co-founder, his brother Charles, but John and I, we've just had a bit of a rocky relationship. But there's this one sermon that John Wesley wrote that I've always been pretty in love with. It's a sermon called The Almost Christian. So throughout the sermon, he talks about di uh, different definitions of Christianity. And he starts with honesty. What's a Christian? A Christian is honest. But then he goes on to say, well, someone can be honest, but still only be an almost Christian. So then he goes on to talk about other things that we might define as Christian, or we might say define Christianity. Like, what about people who give? And not just people who give a little bit, but people who are truly generous with everything they own. Or what about people who are helpful? And I don't just mean the kind of helpful that helps you move in on a Saturday morning. I mean the people who stick around after you move in to take part in the horrifying task of putting together your Ikea furniture. That kind of helpful. Or what about really moral people? I like the way that Wesley puts this one. People who abstain from wine wherein is excess from revelings and gluttony. Gotta watch out for those revelings. So he lays out all of these traits and he says, someone who's perfectly moral, perfectly generous, perfectly helpful. Yep, that's what I would call an almost Christian. So you have to wonder at the end of all this what an actual Christian is if all of this just makes an almost Christian. So what does actually define a Christian according to Wesley? Love. Love. All the other stuff, morality, generosity, honesty, it's good. Kudos if you can do all of that. But is it a Christian? Yeah, sort of. But love is what ultimately, ultimately defines a Christian. He also adds faith into the mix, but he very quickly qualifies what he means by that. He says that he doesn't mean someone who believes in the creeds or the articles of religion. And again, if you have that kind of faith, cool, that's great. 
But the way that he defines faith is the thing within us that produces more love. So look, Wesley didn't write this sermon to say, you guys are doing some really great things, but you're still not good enough to be called a Christian, so try harder. He's actually doing the opposite. He's saying, look at all of the things that we get hung up on and call Christianity. Look at all the things that are ultimately just white shirts and khaki pants. Love is the point. And Paul would say the same thing, but with slightly different terms. Circumcision, uncircumcision, whatever. I don't care. Are you being recreated in love? That's what the real important thing is. So look, we don't argue about things like food laws or ritual uncleanliness anymore. I don't think. I don't know what Thanksgiving looks like for you. But... (laughs) But these were the litmus tests of the people in the first century trying to figure out if someone was a real Christian or not. And we don't argue about white shirts and khaki pants anymore. That was a litmus test in another part of the world several decades ago to divine whether or not someone was a real Christian. But we've created new litmus tests, haven't we? So I mentioned last week that every time I wear my clergy collar to that Harris Teeter up at the top of the hill, someone always wants to talk to me about something. Inevitably, somebody's going to pull me aside to talk to a pastor about whatever they want to talk about. Well, one day I went into the Harris Teeter to get some Chinese food, and a guy pulled me aside and said, oh, you're obviously a pastor. And he asked me what denomination I was a pastor in, and whether it was a conservative or a progressive denomination, and how I thought about certain theological sticking points. Well, it turns out that this guy was also a pastor. And the conversation ended with him telling me that I couldn't possibly be a pastor and believe what I did because the Bible was very clear otherwise. So I got a first-hand lesson in the fact that we don't define Christianity by love or whether or not someone's a new creation. As best I can tell from that encounter, our litmus test for what makes somebody a real Christian is someone who can quote the most Bible verses at a dude who's just trying to get some sesame chicken and noodles. (laughs) I'm happy if you can quote the Bible. Actually, I'm glad, really glad that you've spent enough time with it that you can commit some of it to memory. But I also think that how we interpret scripture can turn into a white shirt and khaki pants that just distracts us from love and recreation sometimes. Or what about this one? One of my friends who's currently in seminary talks about how everyone around her seems to be competing in what she calls the woke Olympics. Like, there's this strong implication that unless you're raging about the issue du jour, you're not a real Christian. Do you have passion? Great. I love that passion. Do you think the world is spinning out of control sometimes and somebody needs to speak up? I am right there with you and I'm cheering you on. But don't let those things replace love and recreation. Instead, let love and recreation fuel your passion. There are other litmus tests that we throw out there. So we listen for watchwords that might indicate if someone believes in a literal seven-day creation or a literal Adam and Eve, a literal ark to see if they're a real Christian or not. We might listen for watchwords about what someone thinks about salvation or predestination or heaven and hell to see if they're a real Christian or not. We are listening for the wrong things, and we need to cool it with our litmus tests. 
whether we're applying them or we're desperately trying to pass them, because it seems like a lot of them can just turn into white shirts and khaki pants to be distracted by. Litmus tests are nothing. New creation is everything. So what are your litmus tests? Or to put it differently, when you meet someone, what are you watching or listening for that would give you the indication that they're a real Christian or really what's really know what's going on in the world? Are you listening for whether they invoke Sean Hannity or Wolf Blitzer or Rachel Maddow? Are you listening for whether or not they sound like the preacher on the Christian radio station that you really like? What about the clothes they wear? We're watching and we're listening for the wrong things, and we're going to miss out on some incredibly transformational relationships if we reject people based on litmus tests. About 11 or 12 years ago, I went to licensing school. Licensing school is a week-long crash course in all things ministry that's required before you start pastoring a United Methodist Church. I should mention, it's not the only requirement, (laughs) so don't worry, it's not just like a week-long thing and then we're good to go. But it's a requirement. So I remember I was moving into my dorm where I'd be staying for that week, and I passed by the dorm next to me. And from that dorm next to me, I heard the sound of one of my least favorite bands in the history of music coming from some guy's laptop. And he came out of that room where the music was coming from, and he introduced himself to me. And he was wearing this blazer that looked like the one I was forced to wear in Catholic school, but he was like wearing it of his own free will. And then he started talking about how he couldn't wait for dinner because he was going to try to get a seat near the bishop so he could get to know him. And I kept on thinking, I already can't wait to not be living next to this guy. (laughs) This guy is a schmoozer with horrible taste in music and a horrible taste in blazers. So it's a really good thing I didn't ask him to wear a blazer when he was the best man at my wedding several years later. (laughs) Look, I was ready to reject this guy based on his horrible taste in music. Yes, I still think he has horrible taste in music. I tell him this like every week. (laughs) I was ready to reject him based on what he was wearing. And if I had done that, I would have missed out on getting to know an incredibly loving person. Litmus tests are nothing. New creation is everything. So there's a temptation to write people off based on very insignificant things. And when we do that, our community of faith is harmed, and we might miss out on these transformational relationships. But there's this other thing that that litmus tests do, and that's burden people. Some of you here this morning might feel the burden of needing to look a certain way, or use a certain vocabulary, or think certain things before you're accepted. Are you striving for love, recreation, positive change? Anything else you feel burdened by is someone else caught up on a white shirt and khaki pants. So you can put that aside and know that you belong. Circumcision and uncircumcision, white shirts and khaki pants, blazers and bad musical taste, watchwords and news networks are nothing. New creation is everything. Amen? Let's stand together.